Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, the term used, the term you said, wokists, uh-huh. sounds like locusts. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Oh, by the way, this is coming from our newest transmitter in Greta. Ooh, nice. Which is apt because they also turn up to places and strip away everything sustainable and positive. This push for gender ideologies and politics uh, throughout the world that attempt to infringe on religious liberty will continue to be supported by those in power as it appeals to a particular demographic and ensures those in government much-wanted votes. Those pushing the hardest for equality are usually the ones that disagree with it the most. Isn't that a fact? They're the most intolerant people out there. Uh, These hypocrites are part of the system trying to destroy the beautiful creation of God it is assuring to know that Jesus has won. Otherwise, we'd probably feel like we should just give up. Mm. It's rather well put together. I, I I resonate with everything in that in that statement. It's right just there. authoritarianism. Like it really like it, it, the problem with every single ideology on earth, no matter how much you subscribe to it or not, is when it becomes authoritarian. I was just reading an article, and I might actually spend some time. Uh, going through this article here on Faith FM, maybe next week. Usually what I try and do is cover stories that broke overnight, but this is one of those stories that is a, you know, has that's that's timeless mm. because this person uh, escaped out of North Korea. They've told the whole story, how, mm. they, you know, they got across into China, sold them to slavery, uh, rescued by missionaries, uh, got through to Mongolia, finally found their way to the United States, and wow. but grew up in, a, in, in, in the world's most oppressive regime. Mm and now at Columbia University and have put out an article saying Columbia University is more more repressive than <gasps> North Korea. That's intense. Very intense. Wow. Yeah, I might talk more about that next week. Um, it's a very, very interesting story and one well worth reading. Mm. Okay. Jesus loves me mask in relationship to Jesus. The hate of that teacher against God leaves you speechless. I do believe that a turning point is on the horizon that the religious right will take the upper hand soon. God is allowing these things to happen for a great change to come, not necessarily for the better. And I like that last statement there because we can't afford to be partisan right now to one side or the other. We need to be partisan to the truth and the truth only yes. and what is right because... You know, if we start taking, you know, this side, that side, the other side, left, right, or indifferent, there are always going to be policies on either side yep. that mm-hmm. are against God. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that. I, I really like this qualifying statement at the end here. Not necessarily for the better. End time scenario. Mm-hmm. And when you read what the Bible says, you find that both sides are in. And basically what you've got is that the left hates religious liberty. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because that means religious liberty is going to go out the window. Mm-hmm. The right loves union and ch- union of church and state, mm-hmm. and that's a problem because religious liberty will go out the window. Mm-hmm. Both of them are pushing for exactly the same thing from two different directions. Yep, it's ah, oh, it's wild. But then even as well, like just on a local level here in Australia, you know, the current governments that we have in power, particularly on a state level, like. There's some really amazing investigative journalism happening at the moment that is kind of getting into the, the corruption that happens in state governments. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, it's just like, and it's, and it's the same everywhere. And it's just like, I can't actually support anyone, even, even from their ideology. Yes. Because they're just terrible people as well. 
Like, just, oh, <sighs> it's disenfranchising. Somebody stop the world and let me off. No, yeah. Jesus, come back and take me Amen. off. Amen. Just, just take Jesus, me off. Jesus, take the wheel. Take Please. it away. Take it away. All right, let's go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. We have a great passage to look at right here. So that is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Let's get into our Bible study. I can't believe that four people have the quiz. That is just, that is painful. That's that hurting. That hurts. We don't even have, nobody even sent wrong answers through. Yeah. We usually count on you guys to send a whole bunch of wrong answers now just like, so that we just, can feel a little bit better. They just stayed in the. We didn't even get to feel better shadows. about ourselves this morning. It was it, the only wrong what? answers that the only wrong answers that have been put forward is by us. <laughs> <laughs> they laid in wait. This is, I feel like this was a co- coordinated attack on us. That's fine though. Faith FM we'll listeners are <clears throat> they're organized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Faith FM listeners are organized. Uh-huh. All right, Galatians six verse fourteen. What do you got for us? Galatians six and verse fourteen. The Bible says this. Uh, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Is that verse 14? Yeah. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Galatians 6 oh, and I'm Ephesians verse 6. 14. <laughs> 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 uh, all right. As for me, I may never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Okay, there, there you go, right there, Lawson. That's that. That message is for you and I. Amen. We needed that right now. Uh huh. Because we boast too much in our ability with the quiz. <laughs> and God has come to us, and God has a message for us. Do not boast in anything other than the fact that Jesus died for you. He has. He has smote us. One hundred percent. We have been smitten. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I want you to think about it from a deeper perspective. How do you boast in the cross of Christ? Why does why is that something that is boastworthy? Uh, let me read it from my translation. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. How do you boast? What boast? Because boasting is boasting is 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 talking about yourself, right? Uh-huh. And making yourself look better mm. and bragging. How do you how do you brag it? What 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 about the cross allows you to brag? Let me ask you. Let me ask you this question, La. Yes. Um, did you have anything to do with Jesus getting on the cross two thousand years ago? Did you like help him up? Did you like you know physically? No. Uh, symbolic, figur- figuratively, yes. Yep, def- yeah, yeah. Because of, because of your sin. Because of my sin. Oh, oh, actually, okay. So it's because of your terribleness. That Jesus had to be crucified. Yes. And you did nothing to help him through that situation. You didn't comfort him through that situation. Yeah. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. No, it was was my sins that put Jesus on the cross. Uh Uh-huh. And I did nothing to alleviate that. And this is where we can boast that our God is so good is so loving, is so caring. And it makes the point here. It's like now you are crucified to the world. You don't need to have anything to do with the world because our God is so good, is so much greater and higher and better than the world could possibly be that we put him on a cross and he took it. 
That is how loving our God is. That is how caring our God is. That is how amazing our God is. That is where we can boast. Okay, now let's think about that and compare it with the world that Paul was living in when he wrote this. Mm. Let's think about the gods who existed back then. Mm. And let's ask ourselves the question, why did Christianity explode in the way that it did wow. across the empire? And you compare this where Paul comes and preaches his message and says, all right, there is this God. And your sins caused him to be crucified. Your sins caused him to be tortured. Your sins caused him to suffer unimaginable pain. You did all of this, and he took it all for you. Mm. You know, and 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 this is comparing with a god. You know, the the other gods who were at the best just cruel and heartless. Mm. Uh, at the worst, they were infinitely cruel and heartless. At the worst, they didn't exist. Yeah. Basically, yeah. They're, they're actually used as a, as a social political tool to control. Oh, people. absolutely, absolutely. And so, when you compare this god with those gods you can see that this God suddenly has a whole lot of appeal because this is a God who actually cares for you as an individual. Whereas these other gods, you know, you'd appease them every now and then, uh, put some incense on one of their altars, sort of keep them a little bit happy, um, ask them for favours when you want a favour, offer some sacrifices when you, you know, want to get on their good books and earn some brandy points with them and all this kind of thing. But here comes a God who does the exact opposite and says, no, I will actually sacrifice for you and I will give... The ultimate sacrifice, I will give the sacrifice of my life. Mm. And it's and it's in spite of you as well. Yes. So this is this is the thing. Yes. Is that, is that when you were my enemies. Mm. And this is what we read earlier this week. And and as well, it makes me think like um the gods of the pagan world at the time were consistently mad at you in spite of you. It doesn't matter how good you could be, like, you know, you served a god that would was um, infinitely unquenched in the amount that you could appease him. That's right, a bottomless pit. Whereas God loves you in spite of you, that you are so terrible, you are so lost, so far from him, such a sinner, such an awful person, yet he died for you. So the other gods were a hungry animal demanding to be fed that could never be filled. Mm -hmm. Whereas this God comes along, Jesus Christ... And rather than demanding to be fed, he says, let me feed you. Wow. Rather than demanding something, he says, let me give my life mm. for you. Mm. This, this God is such a massive contrast, and you can see why Paul says, I'll boast. I'll boast about the God that I serve. Mm. See if you can match this in any way, shape, or form with any of the gods that you serve. See if any of your gods come even close to this God. They just simply don't. Mm. So that's a great place to boast. Even oh, even further, this is this is like another point that I love is that um, God's like the power of a particular God was ascribed to the uh, affluence and the power of the nation that represented it, because gods at that time were super local, and so the best a God could be was you know the God of a great political power. Whereas Paul is coming along and talking about a God that transcends, like the God of everything, that doesn't need 
political power. You know, because he can point at like, you know, he can point at the, the God of the Babylonians mm-hmm. and say like, remember the God of the Babylonians who ruled the world? Well, look, where, where is he now? Yes. Where is the God of the Medo-Persians? Where is the God of the Greeks? And, you know, we've got the God of the Romans, but where will he be? Like when the Roman Empire falls apart. But then he can talk about Yahweh and say, but Yahweh has always been here. He's always been striving with the people and has, has consistently won them battles. Like look at, you know, Jewish history. But has he even put his own people, you know, through captivity because of their disobedience to him? Like before their own good and then brought them out of that, you know, a, a fate that would have destroyed any other nation. He brings them out of like he, oh, he could probably just like point to, you know, the words of Job and be like, you know, God gives, God takes away. Like the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the Lord. Like you have a God who is actually consistent with the reality that people are living in. Yes. Oh, it's so epic. It is. It is. Okay. I want to look at another aspect of how we can boast because read me that verse from Galatians again. Yep. Galatians chapter six and verse 14, the Bible says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Okay, so uh, when it comes to boasting, boasting is something that we do about ourselves. And Paul here talks about, you know, let me boast in, let me not boast in anything except for the cross. And we've talked about how the cross reveals a very different God than the gods that existed in the world at that particular time. Mm-hmm. That reveals to us a God that you know we can boast about, and Paul is happy to boast about. But boasting is referring, when you boast, okay, it's like, okay, I've got a great God, but there's also an aspect of boasting that refers to yourself. Mm-hmm. And what I want to draw out here is that being a follower of God means that we can boast about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I've got Lawson looking at me very skeptically right now. Like, what kind of um, heresy is about um, to come out of Lyle's Lyle, mouth? Lyle, did you not read the verse? As for me, may I never boast about anything. Yes. Uh-huh. Except? Except Jesus. The cross. Except the cross. Yeah. Except the cross. Uh-huh. All right. So, therefore, you can boast because of the cross. And I'm going to say you can boast about yourself because of the cross. Okay. <laughs> Lawson's like, all right, comes all right. I'm like sitting up out of my chair. Like, all right, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> all right, so think about this. Uh, boasting is the kind of thing that you do when you think that you are good mm-hmm. or better or more wonderful or more amazing than somebody else. Uh-huh. So, you know, you involved in a sports competition and you win a gold medal, it gives you something to boast about. I may have been guilty on that this weekend. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Classic. Which was probably not appropriate. But let's think about this for a moment. As an individual, how good are you? Like, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. It's like, no, not very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. The Bible says the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. There is no soundness in it from the bottom of the foot to the top of the hell, it's f- head. It's full of sores and cankerous wounds. The Bible says mm. that the human heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things who can know it. Mm. So when we ask how good we are, we say, yeah, nah. And I guess there maybe there's some people listening who, who are tempted uh, to, you know, think in of themselves like, oh, but yeah, you know, like I'm a pretty good person. 
And I'll, oh, I hear that all the time. And, and, and I would say to them, like, listen, like, I'm sorry. First but, of all, that's not the issue, but secondly, but you're like, not. But you're not. Like, uh, let me say, let me say, you are, and this goes for me and everyone else, you are incredibly mediocre at best. As humans, yes. as humans, like, yes. as humans, we only have the ability to be really, really good at one thing. And those people who are really, really good at one thing usually end up being incredibly successful. Um, but let me just say, if you're not a part of, like, that group of people... But even successful, there's a difference between being successful and being good. Yeah. Okay. But being good at something often leads to being successful. Yeah, but I'm talking about being good as in a good person. A good person. But this yeah. is my point, is that even, like, if there's someone sitting there thinking, oh, well, I'm skilled, I'm skilled, morally yes. good, I'm... You know, uh-huh. uh, like I'm. Um, well, your goodness is as filthy ap- ap- Like, no, you are at best in every single sense of the word good, whether it's morals or skill or whatever, incredibly mediocre. All right. Okay. So we've, we, we've come up with the fact that we are incredibly mediocre. We are not good. But are we valuable? This is. Yes. 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 We are not yes. good. How valuable are we? We are worth the life of God. Is that something you can boast about? Yeah. I'm not a good person, but I am worth so much. Mm-hmm. Now you see where the cross of Christ gives us opportunity to boast. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's get on with our Bible study. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Passage that we did talk about the other day, maybe a week or two ago. Uh, let's read it again. So that's verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Okay, so the question here is, what does a ransom mean? Because my, my translation says, uh, redeemed. You were redeemed. Uh, let me read here, verse 18, for as much as you know that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as gold and silver, from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. What does it mean to... Okay, so there's, there's two different words here. One is ransomed, one is redeemed. Uh, the word... They're, they're, those both words are both kind of used, but ransomed is probably used more often today. Mm. What con- give us some context. Where would you find this word? Uh, you'd find this word in a police operation okay. uh, where they are trying to um, get back someone who has been kidnapped. Yes. And there will be a ransom given by the kidnappers. That, okay, why did the kidnappers choose this person? Um, because they know that the people can pay the ransom. Okay, because this person is valuable, right? Yes. All right, so for there to be a ransom in the first place, there has to be a valuable person. Mm-hmm. You can't go and take a, uh, a homeless person off the street and call for a ransom. Mm. Uh, you have to choose somebody who is valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you took Scomo um, captive and mm. held him for ransom, then you might have a better chance of getting a ransom. Um, yeah, maybe the queen or, or the queen. Dude, you would get big bucks. You've also got a better queen. chance of being shot, but <laughs> by uh, the queen. But these are people who are considered to be valuable. Uh-huh. Whereas. When Jesus paid the ransom, he paid that ransom for the homeless person on the street Mm. because he saw that person 
of equal value to ScoMo or the Queen or some other celebrity or footballer or whoever else might be out there. And that value is his life. That's right. Like, this is the point. It's like God This is the kind of person who, who, who goes in with a ransom and says, here's what I will do. I'm actually worth more than what they are. And so what I'll do is I will swap places with them. Mm. And the person says, well, that's fine, but if you do, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, that's, 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 that's what I will pay. I will pay this mm. to get that person free. That is an incredibly high price. And that illustrates the value that we have as sons and daughters of God. Wow. Mm. You know, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of price that you would pay for your child. Yeah. You know, I think that any of us who are out there as parents, if we were in a situation where that was the only thing that we could pay, we wouldn't blink. We would say, sure, mm-hmm. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll just swap. We would do it without even blinking. And for those of us like Lawson who don't have children yet, uh, that is in your future, but your parents would do the same. Oh, 100%. They would not even flinch uh-huh. in making that decision. Mm. And... When we understand the love between a child and their parents, we get a small glimpse, a glimmer of why God calls us his children and why God was prepared to do what he did for us in ransoming us, buying us, redeeming us with his own blood. Let's go to First John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 11, 12, and 13. The Bible says, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you so that, uh, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you know that you have eternal life. Okay, so let's think of a ransom situation. Let's say that you're being held captive for ransom mm-hmm. and uh, you know a really important person turns up, a celebrity turns up, and you're a nobody, and you know that you can never pay the ransom. It's just never, ever going to happen. And so you're just resigned to being, okay, I'm going to die a horrible, cruel death right here. Mm. And so this is the situation that you find yourself in. You're going to die a horrible, cruel death. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not, and, and then somebody turns up and says, I'll pay the ransom. And the people who own you say, well, you can't afford it. You can't come up with enough money. And the person says, I'll swap. And they're a really valuable person. And so the kidnappers then reply and they say, okay, that's fine. You swap with this person and and and, 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 and that's all good. And so now you have the opportunity to go free. Mm. And so the really valuable person turns up and becomes a captive of the kidnappers. And you choose to stay there in captivity. How many people are doing that today? Wow. And what a tragedy. Mm. There are so many people who are saying, they've got Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. They've totally got Stockholm Syndrome. Satan has given them Stockholm Syndrome and, and Satan's like, no, you're better off here with me. Why, why would you want to go back to a perfect world? Live in this sinless heap of garbage and rubbish with pain and suffering and turmoil and strife and commotion and injustice. Mm. This is better. And we've bought into it somehow or other. And Jesus turns up and he's like, okay, I've swapped places. You can go now. 
And we're like, nah, we'll stay. Mm. What's with that? Yeah. It's 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 a it's a tragedy, isn't it? And imagine, you know, when you really understand what God has done for us and how much he has loved us. Oh, these verses here, there are so many so many illustrations that they just bring to my mind of what God has done for us and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. Yeah, man, it, it just, like, it makes me, like, I grieve, like, for the yes. world. Yes. For myself. Like, yes. For, like, because we are all in this situation. Um, oh, we're just, like, overwhelmed by the ridiculousness of sin. And it's terrible. We need to let go. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, where did Paul learn to make tents? Okay, this is a really interesting question. You would wonder why it was that the highest trained lawyer and the brightest mind in Jerusalem, in Judea, uh, somebody who was, you know, going to be one of the leaders of the world at that particular time, really. I mean, the the second biggest economy in the world was the uh, temple in Jerusalem during the first century. And Paul was right at the very top of the top of the top. He was riding the wave when he became a Christian. Why was he a tent maker? I mean, seriously, what's the connection between being a lawyer and being a tent maker? I don't meet that many lawyers who had a past life in a trade. Okay, so here's something that's very interesting about Jewish culture, and I think that it is well worth emulating. In fact, I believe that everybody should copy this, and that is that all young people, uh, particularly young men, or in those days young men, were required before they got their, um, their, their higher education to get a trade and to learn a trade. I think that would absolutely be uh, an exceptional policy that we could all take. It's certainly something that you know, I did, I didn't plan to do it that way, but I recommend it to every young person who ever comes to me who is considering ministry. I'm like, that's great. Go get a trade. That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. Both of them are well worth, you know, of course, um, copying Jesus in ministry would be uh, the greatest thing you can do. You're never going to go wrong copying Jesus, but Paul's, Paul's a, a great hero of the Bible as well. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that this was something that he did not learn while he was doing his missionary work because the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 um, that in verse 1, after these things Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, and his wife Priscilla, um, and came into them. And because he was of the same trade, he lived with them for their occupation. By their occupation, they were tent makers. So this was a trade that he had before. Moreover, this is not something that Paul would have been, you know, a trade that he would have been carrying with him because when you're a missionary, you can't really carry all of the equipment necessary for tent making. And when you move into a new city, particularly Greek cities, you've got to get permission from the city elders. You've got to get permission from all of the trades guilds. You've then got to build up a clientele. uh, And this is not something you're going to do while being a missionary at the same time. But when he could come in and be an employee of Aquila and Priscilla, then that's something that would work very, very well for him. And so um, 
you know, some people have speculated, well, you know, what about those three years that he spent in Arabia? You can read about that in Galatians chapter 1 and verse uh, 17, where he spent some time uh, in Arabia studying the Bible. Well, if you look at the Jewish model, it would not have taken place then either because he would have been required to have his trade before he got his law degree. And so um, when we look at Paul's tent making, and, and, and this is what else we find, Paul uses his tent making in an interesting way. There are many places where he goes into an area as a missionary and he works at his trade so that several years later he can turn around and he can say to these people, look, when I was, when I was with you and I was preaching, I wasn't there to be a prosperity gospel preacher. I wasn't there to raise lots of money. I wasn't there to... You know, to just take all your silver and your gold. I was there to present the gospel, and I did it at my own expense. Mm. And so here you've got the highest, greatest lawyer that would have been fabulously wealthy who becomes a tent maker or goes back to his trade as tent making so that he can share the gospel. Wow. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.